Welcome to How Science Happens, a podcast by Wally Paxton, DJ So, and Doug Tree, professors at Brigham Young University. In the podcast, we bring you stories of cutting-edge science as told by world-class scientists and engineers from around the world who are on the front lines doing the work. We explore the highs and lows of discovery and what makes science such an exhilarating and frustrating process for those who do it. And because we're nerds, maybe you will even learn a little science along the way. Welcome to another episode for How Science Happens. And this is DJ Zhao speaking from the Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. I'm also with the Doctor. Doctor, can you say hello to the audience? Hi, DJ. Hi, everybody. Okay, where are you, Doc? Oh, I'm also I'm also on BYU campus. Okay, so I am also with uh, another friend of mine, which is Wally. So can you say hello? Hello, hello to everybody. everybody. I'm uh, at the chemistry building at BYU, mm-hmm. the Benson building. Okay, then we have a special guest today whose name is Roberto Anderson. And Roberto, can you say hello to the, uh, to the audience? Hi, DJ, how are you? Yes, I'm going to say the, the name Roberto Anderson Eguiluz. Okay. How are so, you, DJ? How are you, Alien? Hi, dog. Yeah, yeah, thanks. All right, so where are you speaking from? I'm right now uh, in Merced. This is in California, Central Valley. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. So uh, to, we are recording this audio on June 5th, 2020. The COVID-19 is still raising across the United States and the world. So we are meeting separately, uh, but we are meeting virtually via Zoom today. So our guest today is uh, Roberto Anderson. And do you usually say the... Can you say that again? Sorry about that. Don't worry. I usually say both uh, last names. Andresen Egiluz. Egiluz. So, so Roberto. So, I'm glad. I'm glad that we have we have uh, we can have you as our guest today. But uh, so, before we start our conversation, I was just wanna uh, talk about what you in your mind recently, except for science. So in these days, I'm kind of interested in so the vaccine development in the COVID-19. So is there anything sticking to your mind, Roberto? Well, before going jumping into those important questions, I want to thank you all for, for the invitation. Thank you, mm-hmm. DJ, Wally, and, and, and Doc. And yeah. Then, yes, of course, uh, regarding your, your, your question regarding, of, uh, regarding interest, uh, scientific interest nowadays, how to, to investigate, for example, covid uh, 19 mm-hmm. related vaccines. Uh, I mean, there's a lot that, that, that can be done. I mean, I'm working now on putting some ideas together for investigating uh, epithelial monolayer mechanics. And okay. of course, I, I just started my position here. At, I'm at the University of California, Merced. Oh, uh, so how long have you been there? So how, have, have, how long have you been working in the University of California? So I'm affiliated to material science and engineering, and I started mm-hmm. in July 2019. So it's been okay. almost a year, okay. and the laboratory is not yet where I was expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> of course, there's not much uh, research activity still going on, but that doesn't mean that there are no ideas uh, uh, maturing and, and developing uh, in my brain and, and within the group. Uh, but uh, once that's said, uh, I would be interested in investigating how um, 
the the the, the spike proteins, for example, that are decorating the the uh, part ah, of the okay. of the, mm -hmm. the the virus uh, membrane, uh, interact with the uh, some of the proteins uh, present in the surface of epithelial uh, sheets or beds. Um, okay. It's been hypothesized that integrins can be involved. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, there's there are other many other ma many other cell surface receptors that are involved in in uh, providing anchorage for for the virus. So that that would be definitively something to explore. Okay, that's great. So if I understand, uh, you basically studied uh, biomaterials and bio uh, that also something related to bioengineering, biomedicals. Is it right? That's right. The, the, the thrusts or the arms, the research arms that I'm pushing forward uh, mm -hmm. are epithelial mechanobiology. That's one. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And I'm interested in investigating how the viscoelasticity of the exocellular matrix, that is the viscoelasticity of the scaffold that the mm -hmm. cells use to sustain and to other me mechanical support, for example, uh, of course, also chemical cues but how those viscoelasticity properties affect and regulate epithelial and endothelial uh, regulation. And okay, that's, yeah, that's great. I mean, I think those kind of research is directly related to what's going on in the world with the virus, the, uh, the virus proliferation and the virus, uh, uh, all these kind of issues with the COVID-19. It is fantastic. And, right. and let, let me tell you a little bit about the other uh, research thrust or arm that I'm pushing forward, and it is biotribology. You know? I'm interested in understanding how synovial fluid uh, is uh, capable of lubricating and protecting from where our synovial joints or cartilage surfaces uh, so robustly, so efficiently for almost a decade. You know, if you 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 have healthy joints, uh, okay. and if we understand that, we may be able to come with better solutions to treat, uh, for example, osteoarthritis. Uh, All right. This. Mm -hmm. So that's great. So before we, so you just told me, uh, told us a lot of different stuff <laughs> related to the biology. So before we talk about all these details, we like to start with your why, how you got interested in all these science and the biomaterials and the cartilages and uh, the basically mechanics or mechanical properties of these, all these biological materials. So first of all, I'd like to discuss or where, how you got interested in the science, starting from your early lifehood and uh, early childhood. So where would, you, where would you call your hometown is? So where did you grow up? So I, I grew up in, in Mexico City. I'm originally from Mexico. I consider myself Mexican, uh, from Mexico uh -huh. City. And mm -hmm. I grew up there with my mother and with my grandmother and together with a, a younger brother. He's two years younger. And interestingly, he... We, we, we share a lot of interest. He did also a PhD and postdoctoral studies, and, and we still mm -hmm. discuss and, and, and support each other uh, mm -hmm. intellectually and in, in creative, many different creative uh, ways. Um, so that's it, yes. And yeah, I'm lucky okay. to be close, and also California is, it feels pretty much like, a, like home. It, it is very oh, okay. nice to, to feel so close to home. Does your brother have a PhD in a similar area, or...? Uh, also sciences or a different different branch of study? Uh, similar, he's a computational physicist and I'm an experimentalist. Okay. So the interesting thing is that we can complement each other. He he has helped me tremendously in, 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 in coming with ideas on how to 
uh, analyze large sets of data uh, with a very uh, physical background. And I've been able to provide him with uh, good insights on how to, to test experimentally some ideas. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So I understand you have only one brother. And it seems like, did you guys talk about science a lot when you were growing up in your high school or your elementary school? Did you talk about it a lot? I mean, maybe, I don't know if explicitly, uh, uh-huh. but I, something that I remember clearly at home is that my, my mother, she was a, a teacher, uh-huh. an elementary school teacher. My grandmother uh-huh. was also a music teacher. So teaching, mentoring has been always uh, okay. in the family, in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And we, we grew up as uh, middle class. Uh, and, and, and she was always, my mother and my grandmother were always saying that uh, there was always going to be money for us to travel and to buy books. And <laughs> I, I think that, of course, that environment helped tremendously. I would add to that uh, wine as well, to have like the perfect triath. Uh, books, travel, and wine would make a perfect triath. <laughs> yeah, so, so, I mean, this is just a, a sentence or a summary, an idea, but mm-hmm. reflects like the, the, where the priorities in in. in in my family were. Okay, all right. So, but I'm curious. So, out of all these kind of all these things you learn from high school or middle school, I don't know if you have a middle school in Mexico, but anyway, out of all these kind of field of science like biology, physics, or chemistry, so so what interests you most when you are in the high school out of uh, scientific field? I was very interested in physics. That doesn't mean that I was a good physics student. Okay, uh, so when you say physics, what kind of physics? Is it astronomy physics? No, it was just classic mechanics. Mecha- classic mechanics. Ah, uh, okay. uh, very, very fundamental classic mechanics, uh, statics. Uh-huh. But uh, going back to the inspiration, when I was 13 years old, I remember mm-hmm. attending to uh, a talk given by an alumni from my high school and middle school. And he was a mechanical engineer working in developing a prothesis. And he was a biomaterial scientist and a biomechanic mm-hmm. engineer. Mm-hmm. And I found that uh, mind blowing. It was super interesting. And it was not a, a, a line of work that I was expecting from a mechanical engineer. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, 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 I know that was. A, a very important uh, event in my life, and that's what I decided actually to to study uh, mechanical engineering for many other engineering uh, uh, paths that I could have taken. Yeah, this is interesting because so in Korea, so I graduated, uh, graduated from uh, in high school from Korea. Then in Korea, we have uh, four separate areas uh, such as earth science or astronomic physics, and this is just one curriculum. We okay. have biology, we have chemistry and physics. Mm-hmm. And unlike you, when I was a high school student, I thought that all four areas has nothing to do with each other. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. well, I, 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 I'm pretty sure you're not alone, DJ. <laughs> yeah, at the time, no. But it seems like you already realized that mechanical engineers can do many different things. And one of the things mechanical engineers can do is, yeah, is biomedical engineering or bioengineering. 
I, I've the, heard of mechanical engineers being described as the Swiss Army knife of engineers who can pretty much do a little bit of everything and, and uh, very, very broad interests. Wally, Wally, if you allow me, I'm going to borrow that sentence and, and, and start using it also. Uh, I like it. I like please it. do. Please good, do. Good, good, good. <laughs> Yeah, so but you, I, I, I would say also chemical engineering or there many, many other fields that it, it is very hard nowadays to silo a, a, a field no? and you can branch out to so many different disciplines. No? I never really thought myself of someone doing uh, biology at the level that I'm doing right now. So, mm-hmm. so you're, in a, you're in a material science uh, and engineering department, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So, so, so I find that um, materials folks especially have this attitude um, about multidisciplinary work. I think a lot of this comes from the fact that in materials, we really are very interdisciplinary because we often touch on physics and chemistry and biology and math and engineering. And so I I think that's one of the cool things about the area that, that you're in is how interdisciplinary it really is. At the end of the day, what, what I think, is really important is what are the problems that we're solving and the questions that we're answering and the disciplines just tell us what skill sets we're kind of bringing to those problems that we're addressing but really what matters is can you solve the problem or not and if you don't then you're gonna you can't you can't silo right you've got to go outside your expertise to draw on other people's expertise or other fields of study to answer the question because that's what really matters I completely agree with that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, and with Doug, yeah. no? like you, you, it's it's really about being able to put this team of expertise together to tackle the problem uh, as efficient as possible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the reason why we usually work as a team when you do the project. Scientists, yeah, we are not like Einstein. Einstein probably he uh, developed the relative theory on his own. But actually, it seems like there's a way, but he has a friends because I, as far as I know, Einstein was not great at mathematics. So he got the help of a mathematics from one of his friends. Yeah, and the average, the average number of authors on a paper is definitely going up. <laughs> yes. If you look at mm-hmm. those papers and the number of authors on them, yeah. Absolutely. That doesn't mean that we don't need those individuals that are like working alone and uh, of course, we need those type of people uh, uh, as yeah, well in silence, yeah, but right. I, I, I'm not one of those. No? I need, I, I really like the, the interactions. Yeah, yeah. So, seems like, so today we're going to talk about one of your papers you, you wrote in 2007. It's just about fibronectin. So, it seems like you were in part of this research when you are still in your undergraduate college, is it right? So what is the background of writing this paper? So when did you, so one thing I have a question about this paper here is basically, we are talking about this paper uh, published in 2007 in the Plus Biology, uh, titled the force induced unfolding of a fibronectin in the extracellular matrix of living cells. So if I take a look at the affiliation, it is, it is affiliated to Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. So I think in 2007 you are still at uh, UNAM. That is right, yes. U- yeah, UNAM means National Autonomous University of Mexico. And I'm interested, in, so I can t- I can see that you are, uh, you want to major in mechanical engineering. You like to study 
bio-related uh, subject in, inside the mechanical engineering. But how did it come to uh, come to associated with these researchers in uh, listed in this paper? By the way, they are Michael Smith, Delphine Gordon, and so forth, and uh, Viola Vogel. So how did you come to know those people when you are still in the undergraduate? Which is actually for me, it's kind of remarkable because when I was an undergraduate, I know the professors and the undergraduate students in my university. But it seems like you had some uh, interaction with people in Switzerland, which is about half, halfway around the world. So how did it happen? Josar, I shared the story about this outreach activity when I was 13 and I attended to this talk and that uh -huh. was like a decisive moment yeah, in yeah. my life. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think this, this, this experience and it materialized in a paper, in a really nice paper, mm -hmm. uh, is another uh, very important moment in, in not only my career, no? like in my personal growth. So I was lucky uh, to have attended the Swiss school in Mexico City. Uh, oh. So, o sea, you, you can already start to see the connection there. So my, my, my mother was German teacher at that school, and my brother and I attended uh, the Swiss school in, in Mexico City. And we have also some family in, in, in Germany. So we, we were uh, every other year spending summers in, in, in Germany. So we had already a connection uh, there with uh, the German language or some, to some extent German culture. And at some point during my bachelor's, I was, as you say, finished uh, towards the end of my mechanical engineering training degree at the UNAM. I decided to do uh, a study abroad a year, and ah. I chose uh, to go to uh, Switzerland. And uh -huh. one of the reasons is because I, that's part of the, the world that I knew. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I spent one year uh, taking mechanical engineering courses at the ETH, the Artgenössische Technische Hochschule in Zurich. Mm -hmm. And when I arrived, the first thing that I did is to take a, 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 a very simple job. I was a waiter for a couple of months, but I wanted to have some uh, lab experience. So I started literally to go and knock into different laboratories around campus <laughs> uh, to see if there were uh, opportunities for an undergraduate uh, mechanical engineer. And I remember knocking on at least four laboratories. The, the Now the wife of my brother, she's Swiss and she was also studying there. Uh, she helped me to navigate the situation and took me to the laboratories that she thought could be interested in, in hiring or just like recruiting a mechanical engineer. Mm -hmm. And this group, like I knocked doors and Michael Smith and Delphine Gourdon, like, ah, oh, you're a mechanical engineer. We may have a little project for you. Yeah. Uh, let That's me stop great. with, and, 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 that, and it evolved into that. At the end, they saw like, okay, this is the project. Are you mm -hmm. interested in taking it? Uh, and if so, you're welcome to join the group. And if you are interested, we can pay you. So it was even better. <laughs> oh, so, okay. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So uh, I took it and I joined the, 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 the research efforts and I discovered the world of mechanobiology, which uh, was completely uh, uh, unknown to me. And it, mm -hmm. again, similarly to what happened when I was 13 years old, it blew my mind. It's like, okay, I saw mm -hmm. one of my mentors, Michael Smith, he was a mechanical engineer as well, or he is. Mm -hmm. He's mm -hmm. now at Boston University. Mm -hmm. uh, 
said like, well, as a mechanical engineer, I can not only design processes and mm. work on these macroscopic uh, biomechanics, no? I can also apply mechanics at this nano and micro scale. Um, mm. And that's a little bit of what I'm doing right now. Okay, this is interesting. So basically you basically look for the opportunity very, very intensely. So you're just uh, sitting there while you're looking for opportunity. Well, I was not sitting, like I was looking for the opportunity, yeah. you know, like going yeah, and, and knocking on the doors uh, to see what, yeah, yeah, what yeah. I could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of the questions I have here, I have a many questions about that. So, but anyway, so one of the questions here is probably at that point, you already knew that you are going to graduate school, did you? Yes. And mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, I wanted to go back to work in that group. So I, I came uh, back to Mexico. I graduated. Uh, there, there are also family matters. Uh, I, I, I uh, got a son. You know, uh, and so my, my PhD plans got delayed a couple of years. Uh, mm-hmm. But then I applied to, to this group in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And Delphine Gourdon, who was one of my two mentors together with Michael Smith, uh, was moving to, to the U.S., to establish her own group and offer... In UIUC? Uh, she was uh, at Cornell University, upstate New York. Mm. That's oh, okay, that's okay. where I did my, my, my PhD under her supervision. Uh, so okay. I applied to, to, to Cornell, uh, MSE, uh, and yeah, the rest is story. Oh, okay. That's how I came okay. to the US. It, it is another accident because, to, to be honest, I, I never really looked to come into the US. I was always... Because I grew in this... Uh, Swiss school environment, German, yeah. had a lot of family in Germany. I always looked to go into to Germany and, and this other opportunity came. Uh, you can already see that I'm an opportunist. Huh? <laughs> uh, so I'm taking, I'm, I'm taking opportunities that they, they, they can look very interesting, of course are going to be challenging, pushing me out of comfort zone. Uh, but it's been, of course, very challenging, but very fun. Of course, a lot of frustrations, but a lot of fun at the same time. Yeah, yeah. so you just talked about challenge and coming out of the comfort zone. And actually reading this paper, uh, published in Plus Biology 2007, about your paper about fibromectin, was kind of challenging. Because when I, f- uh, when I first read this paper, of course, you read uh, the title first. It, it has a word, fibromectin. So I didn't have any idea about what is fibronectin. So I the, went to the Wikipedia. So I went to Wikipedia, and this is a, what it says in Wikipedia. So fibronectin is a high molecular weight glycoprotein of the of the extracellular matrix that binds to membrane-spanning receptor proteins called integrins. In the, in the first sentence. There are two words I already do not know, which is glycoprotein <laughs> and the integrin. So I clicked, so there's a link in Wikipedia, I c- click on integrin. Integrin, it says, Wikipedia says, integrins are transmembrane receptors that facilitate the cell, extra, uh, cell extracellular matrix adhesions. So what is the transmembrane receptor? So I click on the cre- I click on the transmembrane <laughs> this is, receptor. That's a Wikipedia click rabbit hole. You yeah, in. I was going to say that the, I don't know if it's the beauty of the challenge of reading Wikipedia is that you 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 never know where you started. <laughs> yeah, you got to leave like a brum a breadcrumbs trail behind you to find out <laughs> exactly how yes, did I yes. end up here. So so, so yeah. now so DJ, we have an expert on fibronectin in here. So let's just ask him instead yes. of reading Wikipedia to yeah. him. Let's ask him what fibronectin yeah. is. Yeah, well, I, I, 
I consider an expert, for example, on, on, on fibronectin, Fiola Fogel, for example. She's the, the professor leading the group at the ETH. She's, she's still there. Uh, or Ericsson or Eric Rosalti at UC San Diego. These are really the, the experts. I, I still need to get fair, there. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. But, but so maybe uh, expl explain to us what fibronectin is and, and uh, what it's useful so, for. So fibronectin, I, I'm going to start with collagen. Okay. Collagen is the... You're probably more familiar with collagen as one of the many proteins that are present in the exocellular matrix. And the exocellular matrix is this mechanical scaffold, but it's also a chemical scaffold for mm -hmm. the cells. So depending on the composition, the morphology, of course, there are many parameters that regulate uh, the properties of the exocellular matrix. The, imagine the exocellular matrix to be the space, uh, the, 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 the materials that fill the space between the cells. Okay. okay. For example, in an alveola, you have the epithelial cells the, 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 uh, that are exposed to air. And then very, very close to the, the epithelial cells are going to be the endothelial cells that build the vasculature. So the space between the endothelial cells and the epithelial cells uh, is going to be the interstitial space. And that interstitial space is composed of collagens, different types of collagens, uh, fibronectin, uh, elastin, fibrins, and other proteins. So fibronectin is one of the many proteins that are assembled into the exocellular matrix. And it, it is a glycoprotein because it has a lot of sugars. Um, it is a very long, heavy, molecular, high molecular weight uh, uh, glycoprotein. And the interesting thing of this protein is that depending on the conformation, you can have uh, in plasma, for example, we have fibronectin in plasma, in, 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 in flowing uh, with our uh, blood, but it's in a globular conformation, like very compact. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you start to change the conformation of this uh, protein, uh, the biological activity changes as well. No? So you, if you uh, change it to an extended conformation, then, of course, domains that were previously not exposed, boom, open up and become exposed. And then other things can interact with that exposed, uh, with those exposed domains. And other things can be other proteins, other molecules, uh, or cells. And if you continue changing the conformation, more and more domains or amino acids, or amino acid sequences, uh, peptide uh, sequences, will start to be exposed. And, and, and you change what type of integrins or what type. The integrins are, I call them the, the shoes of the cells. No, you can have uh, or feet. Uh, well, the feet are now we, we wear shoes. No, you can, depending on the the occasion, you wear uh, sneakers or boots or whatever. So the cells have different type of, of of integrins also, and they engage depending on what is available uh, with different types of integrins. That is with different types of shoes. Uh, so of course, if you change the conformation of the protein, uh, so, whatever interacts with it will be different no? depending on what's so, available. Fibronectin can change, so if fibronectin is our fit, we can change uh, the shape of our fit according to the shoes, which are integrin. Uh, no, no, no. Imagine the fibronectin being the, the, the ground or the floor or the substrate. Ah, okay, okay. okay. No? And you will choose Not your fit. shoes based on if you're going to the mall or a ballroom ah, okay, okay. or to the disco mm. or just to be at home. Mm. Okay. No, okay. This is like a super simplistic or, I don't know, yeah. a full uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, analogy. You know, 
Yeah, you know that I don't do research in biology, biomedical or biology because you know all those kind of big names, that's the reason why. But I mean, I like it simple. I really <laughs> like the expression about analogy good analogy, between, good analogy. Yeah, food and uh, ground and asphalt and the mountains. It's really fantastic. <laughs> By the way, so it seems like the name of the title says Force Induces Unfolding. So it seems like you are interested in the conformation of these fibronectins. So, uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you find out the, how you con confirm the conformation of this fibronectin? What is the method that you used? Well, to, yeah. the, the first part you were saying or, or, or referring to the force induced unfolding. So, the idea here is to ask, of course, this is like a conversation in the community you know, uh, that mm -hmm. the paper addressed a, a, a part of that conversation and, and, and controversy. But it's are the sales able to engage to these uh, uh, fibers assembled by fibronectin molecules, and are the, the pulling forces, these are the traction forces, large enough to change the conformation of fibronectin and expose domains that are, uh, or that were previously uh, hidden, unraveled, or exposed. So that's the so force. So where, where are these forces coming from? Is this like within the cell, or, or are you talking about externally applied forces? This, or in this paper, we applied externally forces, externally okay. applied forces, but the cells themselves apply also forces to their surroundings. Yeah, okay. uh, Why do they do that? Uh, they're dynamic. They need to move. They need to have a given shape. They need to interact. Uh, they uh -huh. need to go to sites of infection. And in order to do that, they need to be able to change their uh, shape and migrate and in order to uh -huh. migrate they need to be able to to pull you know that's that's attraction of course this is in a three-dimensional environment you know, our bodies okay. but move, the cells need to 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 move and they do so by uh, contracting and relaxing contracting and relaxing yeah okay mm -hmm. um so the first part of the of the paper actually addresses uh, the conformational changes uh, of fibronectin fi uh, fibers Mm -hmm. uh, due to uh, cell traction forces. And, and we found that if you remove cells from a substrate decorated with uh, fibronectin, then the conformation changes. Well, how do you know that? How did you figure out that conformation changes? What is the methodology you use to confirm the method, uh, confirm, the, confirm, uh, confirm the conformation? So this paper uses mostly, uh, of course, in fluorescent microscopy, uh, confocal mm -hmm. fluorescent microscopy as the tool, and then a FRET, or first resonance energy transfer. Okay. And this technique is, uh, of course, there are many different schemes, but you can attach selectively a place a chromophores or fluorophores to specific domains of your molecule. And if these chromophores are close to each other, spatially, mm -hmm. and if they overlap to some extent spectrally, then you can excite one of your chromophores mm -hmm. and the one of higher energy. So you excite it with a laser and then will emit. And since there's spectral overlap and spatial overlap, then it's going to excite uh, the chromophore of a lower wavelength sorry, for a higher wavelength, lower energy. And so that is a non-radiative non, non uh, dipole-dipole interaction. So you excite one dye, and that, that oh. dye excites the, the dye that is close by. 
and you collect, no, you, you know the laser intensities that you're using to excite your first, your uh, donor chromophore. Mm -hmm. The donor chromophore is called donor because it excites the acceptor chromophore. Mm -hmm. And we collect the intensities of the donor chromophores, acceptor chromophores. And if they're very close, the energy transfer is going to be relatively high. If you increase the distance between the two chromophores, then the energy transfer decreases. And it decreases dramatically. It decreases the, as a function of what, uh, R to the sixth power. So, if you, so you can tell how close things are together based on the fluorescence of that yes. species, right? So if you, they're far apart, you'll see one spectrum. And if they're really close together, you'll see a different spectrum that indicates that. That is, that is right. So the, 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 yeah, we're okay. talking about distances that are 6 nanometers to 10, 12 nanometers. And it sounds like it's really, really sensitive to distance. You said 1 over R to the 6th? That is right, yes. So really, really sensitive to those distances. Yeah, okay, that, cool. That, that is right, that is right. Yes. So you said 1 over R to the 6th. What is R? Is the distance? R is the distance uh, between so the it, chromophores. It is because of it's a, it's a boundary of ours. This region where is R to the 6th. It's a dipole interactions. These are dipole yeah, interactions. Yeah, oh, okay. It's a dipole interaction. So it goes by one to the uh, uh the, the the sixth power of the distance. That's region why for the fre for okay. fret tra energy transfer. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like you are interested in fiber necktie. Then you labeled fiber necktie. Let's say that if you one could imagine their arms, two arms at the fiber necktie with their shoulders that you have some markers at uh, at their fist. So if their fist are closer together, then the one dipole is exciting other dipole. So let's say that I have a dipole on my right hand, my dipole on my right hand is gonna excite my dipole on my in my left hand if I cross my arms. Then if they are far away, I'm gonna observe different behavior. This is the way you monitor if this fiber nectar is crossed or they're stretched. That that is that is right. So we we collect uh, uh, as say what you was saying spectra, and if the arms are very close, our fret values are going to be very high. They're they're very okay. close, mm -hmm. and if the arms the distances between these arms increases, the, my fists, mm -hmm. uh, the distance increases and the energy transfer decreases significantly as a function of distance. So with that we can tell what the conformation uh, of the fibronectin is. Of course, you, you, you run through many different uh, controls. You, know, you calibrate your fret uh, uh, intensity values. Uh, and to know the conformations, we do use other techniques like circular decroism. Uh, and then we did also strain calibration. So we manually okay. extruded fibronectin fibers hmm. to substrates. And there we manually tuned or control the strain levels imposed to the fibers to then understand also the relationship between strain and the fret intensity values. Okay, all right. So what is the key finding of this paper? I know that you are interested in the conformation of fiber nectin. So can you tell me the kind of key findings? So you have a fantastic method. You can monitor the conformation of a fiber nectin with, uh, with the dyes. But what did you find out of this research? So from this paper, uh, uh -huh. one of the questions, open questions was if fiber nectin, I'm gonna mention three 
states of fibronectin. Okay. Uh, it's compact. Imagine a, a, a globular conformation. Mm-hmm. Then extended is just open and then uh-huh. unfolded when uh, tertiary secondary structures start to, to, to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question here was, is fibronectin, because fibronectin uh, uh, forms uh, micron-sized uh, fibrils in the exosolar matrix. Mm-hmm. So is fibronectin present in compact conformation uh, as well as extended conformation within the fibers and unfolded or not? And with this uh, approach, with this paper, in this mm-hmm. paper, we were able, or Michael Smith, really, who was leading it with Delphine Gourdon, were able to tell, and I contributed this little bit, uh, were able to, to say uh, that the compact conformation mm-hmm. uh, of fibronectin is not present in fibronectin fibers. Uh, okay. So that, that was revealing. So uh, the reason that it's important, whether we say compact or unfolded, has to do with, with then the, the biological uh, activity of that protein, whether it's compact or unfolded, or, or, or maybe another way of asking that. So why, why do you care if it's compact or unfolded? That's the, the, always the, 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 the important question, the relevant question, what do I care? And, and of course, it, it changes the biological activity of the cells that are interacting with that matrix. Mm. Uh, there, has, there has been a lot of work, uh, follow-up work, uh, during my PhD, I continued working with fibronectin and in the context of uh, breast cancer, that was with Delphine Gourdon and with Claudia Fischbach. And we found out that depending on the conformation, if it's uh, extended or unfolded, you can, or the cells, the, the specific types of cells that we were using, fibroblasts, use different types of integrins. If it's uh, if certain domains of the fibronectin are closer, uh-huh. uh, the cells will utilize some of the shoes, no? some integrins. If you change the conformation, it will use other type of, of integrins. And mm-hmm. that switch, that integrin switch, can lead to the production, to the overexpression or underexpression of specific markers. Mm-hmm. Now we found that extended, unfolded conformations, ex- unfolded conformations, uh, favor uh, the secretion of uh, soluble factors that promote vascularization. And when a tumor is growing, mm-hmm. yeah, a breast tumor is growing, you don't want that breast tumor to vascularize. And also you start to, 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 to find out, okay, so fibronectin, the substrate, has these biological consequences, uh, particularly for breast cancer. And that can lead to uh, the development, for example, of a... Uh, uh, novel drugs. Okay, if, if the conformation of fibronectin in certain patients uh, is in a state, can we develop uh, mm-hmm. antibodies or, or drugs that block the, the interacting sites from the cells to prevent uh, vascularization, for example? Mm-hmm. So, so can I just, I, I want to try and summarize what you said to make sure I understood. Yes. So basically, depending on the, the, how unfolded the state of the fibronectin is, um, that changes the way the cell interacts with that extracellular matrix. And it changes the, the type of uh, integrin proteins that are expressed on the surface of that cell. And depending on, the, on which integrins are on the cell, that can, that can change um, other biological properties. So for instance, in, in breast cancer cells, that, that leads, it can lead to vascularization or not, depending on what that 
the expression is. And of course, then if you can know the mechanism of what's controlling vascularization, then you can design drugs and other things to, to attack, you know, and, and change those properties then to be the way you want them. Is that mm -hmm. correct? That, that is a, a very good summary. Yes. Thank you, Doc. And I may, among many others, no, that you can also change the level of cellular contractility, which will activate other pathways that are, can be pathological as well. All right. Seems like you have done uh, amazing work in here. It seems like you did this research when you're still in the undergraduate and you went to Cornell to basically expand the field. And you, uh, at the UC Mercer right now, probably you are uh, extending your research into this field as well. Is it right? That is right, uh, DJ. So mm -hmm. I, I want to continue mechanobiology. This is the field of how uh, properties like viscoelasticity with also conformation, or as you mm -hmm. change the conformation, the mechanics of the, pro of the fibronectin changes as well. So this is called mechanobiology. Uh, I want to continue with that, with epithelial mechanobiology and apply the platforms that I've developed in the past and develop new platforms to continue understanding how healthy uh, cellular interfaces behave to understand uh, diseases. Okay, so I, I, I know that you have a lot of pa passion in this field, but so we are toward the end of this podcast recording. And there's a one standard question we ask to every guest. So let's say that you are starting your PhD today, okay? <laughs> so you, you haven't done all these things. If you have a choice, let's say you can choose like astrophysics, or you can choose medical school, or you can choose chemistry, or quantum mechanics, or anything. You can choose anything for your PhD then what are you going to choose? Yeah, but given the caveat that you can't pick what, you did what you're doing now. You got oh, that one. You're gonna have yeah, you can't pick what you're doing now. What would you do <laughs> if you couldn't pick that? That, that makes it hard. Because I, I had like a very easy answer. Like I would do exactly what I did. Yeah, just what I thought. That's what you want. But if I'm not allowed to say that, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Probably maybe physics, maybe chemical engineering, because I think also those, those fields, uh, those paths give you the, the flexibility, and this is, I'm cheating, uh, gives you that flexibility or can be seen also as the Swiss knife, maybe a different configuration, mm -hmm. uh, but to explore many, many other, uh, other fields. Okay. Um, at the end, I, I ended working a lot with the chemical engineers. No? Like as, during my <laughs> undergrad, my chemistry was terrible, and I said, I, I, actually say like i'm never going to go this path <laughs> well that's the nice thing about other people having expertise right is you can collaborate and you can you know uh you can you can build teams that can address the problems at the interface of these disciplines right yes and i would like to add one last thing as as a professors as mentors for me it was also i chose material science because i had a tremendously passionate a, a professor during my graduate uh, during my undergrad he was giving or teaching material science so like boom from within my mechanical engineering material science what i want because he just de delivered it beautifully and and it is for us like a, a very good opportunity you know? like we know it uh, but we can be a difference in, in in the decision of different students in what to do or what path to take 
Roberto, do you not steal material science from chemical engineers? That's ours. So, so, sorry, <laughs> that's that's yours. Yeah, that's chemical engineers. No, 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 no. It's, it belongs to the chemists. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really nice chatting with you guys. Yeah, thank you for your time. And you, this is a really interesting story. It's a, I mean, the, this paper itself is really interesting. Also, you are all kind of stories about your kind of exploration toward this mechanical engineering, material science, biomaterials. It was all interesting. Thank you for your time. Then, yeah. So I hope that one time, one one day, we can collaborate uh, according to your passion and our passions. We thank you, and will be for. Yeah, so thank you, thank you again. We'll see you next time. Thank you, Lee. Thank you for listening to this episode of How Science Happens with your hosts Wally Paxton, DJ So, and Doug Tree. For more information about the podcast, the hosts, or our guests, please visit our website at bit.ly slash howscience. For additional comments or questions, we can be reached by email at howscience at byu.edu.